YouTube is changing. Like watch this intro from Mr. Beast. This is a $1 billion super yacht. Here it is in Vietnamese. And in Hindi. Multi-language audio on YouTube is just one of the trends that we dive into in this video. And that's because today we're interviewing the most interesting employee at YouTube. His name is Kevin Alaka, and he's the global head of culture and trends. And every year, Kevin and his team put together the YouTube culture and trends report, which really boils down the top trends from the past year on YouTube. Now, as big YouTube nerds, Colin and I have been- Speak for yourself. Okay, Colin, we're pretty big nerds. Uh, have any of you seen the culture and trends YouTube channel? Okay, so it's one of the lesser yeah. known YouTube channels yeah. by YouTube, but Samir and I actually love it. So as YouTube nerds, Colin and I have been big fans of this report for the past three years. And this year we asked YouTube if we could help distribute the report to all of you because we find it incredibly valuable. YouTube sponsored this episode, thank you YouTube, and they gave us the report early so that we could make this video. So in this interview, we dive into the trends report and we watch some of the videos from it. Videos that range from bizarre to incredibly insightful. We also make some predictions on where we think the future of YouTube is headed. All right, let's get into it. This is our interview with the global head of culture and trends at YouTube, Kevin Alaka. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you. It's very exciting to have you here. We've had this conversation many times off camera and yeah. off mic, but now we get to have it here. That's right. Which is very exciting. I will say every time that Samir and I have heard you speak, afterwards, we've looked at each other and said, man, I wish we could have just recorded that and mm -hmm. put it on our channel. <laughs> yeah. well, Not to you. put too much pressure on you, <laughs> yeah. but we've always loved like what you've brought to the table and the perspective that you bring. I feel like you are... YouTube's in-house reference librarian meets <laughs> social anthropologist. That's very nice of you to say. What is your official title at yeah. YouTube? I'm the global director of culture and trends. Okay. Which I made up. To be <laughs> totally <laughs> transparent with you. you There's it. a whole culture and trends team yeah. whose titles we all made up uh, as well. Okay, got it. Um, but what happened was, I've been at, at YouTube for almost 13 years. And what happened was, very early on, we realized that when you're a content platform, there's this unique need to try to understand what's actually happening on your, like if you're a TV network, you don't need someone to explain what's happening on your TV network. But when you're a content platform, there is this sort of requirement or need where you, you have to have a deep understanding of the dynamics of what's actually at play on your platform. What's, what is driving the popular culture of your platform? Because you don't necessarily control it in the way that you would a uh, traditional media platform or something. And so these are all things, the thread between all this stuff, you know, if you're, if I'm in a bar, it's like, I work on projects that help people find and understand what's popular on YouTube. Lots of different business applications for that, but that's the crux of it. it it's really interesting what you said about um, the difference between traditional media and, and a platform like YouTube. I hadn't really thought of it like that, that you don't, YouTube doesn't really decide what's popular. The audience decides, like it's about consumer behavior and, also creator behavior. It's whatever we are uploading as creators and how that intersects with what consumers are watching is what defines what YouTube is. Yeah, and in fact, I would say in many cases, it's the opposite of what everybody wished it was in certain times. You right. know, like mm -hmm. yeah. you can imagine being a burgeoning content platform and you're trying to, you know, make, you're trying to compete with television for advertisers and things. And the most popular creators on the platform are playing video games. You know, that's like <laughs> yeah. a, right. not exactly what you wouldn't want if you were trying to, sell something in that at that time. Yeah. But of course that doesn't matter because you're following the audience, you're following the, the creators define the platform, which is a very unique thing in the history of media. Um, and now you see this type of function in, in different platforms and stuff. YouTube's not the only place where 
this type of thinking happens in mm -hmm. the same way, but we were one of the early ones because we were so big and got into it on an, on the earlier side. So given that you have such a unique perspective on YouTube and this bird's eye view and you have for so many years, could you give us an example of an interesting trend that you saw on the platform? There had been this thing that I saw. This is very early when I started at YouTube. I remember there was a video of a guy riding an elevator up and down. Like just, he would go into an, he'd film himself going into the elevator, narrating the experience, going to the elevator, hit a button, go up 10 flights, come back down 10 flights, turn around, get the other view up and down and then leave. And it had tens of thousands of views, right? And I could not figure out why this, like one of my favorite things about YouTube is trying to like this, this little mystery of like, why does someone like this? Like that, that's the driving function of a lot of the work I do. Why does someone like this? Like that's the thing that fascinates me gets me up in the morning trying to unpack why we like the things we like. <laughs> and, and I just couldn't figure it out. I just thought it was like, oh, people like weird stuff on the internet, you know? Mm -hmm. So I kind of moved on from it. And then I was, was like, you know what? I gotta go back and figure out what that elevator thing was about. So I, I found this channel, massive audience, um, that uh, all videos like this. And I, I was like, hey, can, can we chat? I just need to understand what's going on. And he... Um, <laughs> He lived in Virginia and okay. he was a, a train conductor and um, he basically had always for his entire life been obsessed with elevators and he just one day started filming them, put it on the internet and he found all these other people that were also obsessed with elevators. <laughs> and there, I mean, there are elevator channels all over the world, Finland, you know, I found them in Brazil, there, there's tons of people. And I was but like, why, what's the appeal here? And he's like, well, he's like, most, a large percentage of my audience are actually people with autism. And there's something about the experience of sight, sound, motion, and how people's brains work um, that uh, it makes that a really appealing thing. And so his channel was actually not about the elevators. It was actually about the this sort of community of people with autism who all oh, were interested mm. in this thing together. And they only knew, they like, they only, most people who are into that only knew that anyone else was into it because they saw it on YouTube. Like they thought they were the only person in the world that was so interested in that as a topic. And he discovered through this experience that there were other people like him. And that is a particularly poignant story, I think, of this. But you see it happen constantly on the platform. Things that fly in the face of our expectations of of popularity, of interest, of entertainment. Yeah. Um, but that, you know, and our, our perspective as a team has always been, we don't make value judgments about what people watch. There's obviously certain things that are inappropriate and, and problematic and stuff. And that's its own tier of thing. But, you know, I think we're so quick and we have been so quick to, in, in the sort of history of media to dismiss things that we don't understand as like being outlier content or someone's weird choice or whatever. <laughs> but mm. if you stop that, if you just say, why would someone like this? And you try to unpack it, you, it unlocks a whole world of stuff. And it mm. explains a lot of what happens on YouTube. Totally. I mean, ASMR I, is another one. Yeah. Like, you mm -hmm. know, yeah. that for years, people at YouTube didn't even like me talking about ASMR because like, this is some weird yeah. thing. And I was like, no, no, no. This is people using video in a way that you just would never think of, but it's meaningful to them, you know? Mm. I, I've gotten into Lawnmower YouTube. Oh, yeah. Lawnmower YouTube is fantastic. Have yeah. you seen any of this? I have. I yeah. posted it in our Discord yesterday. It's this, There's this guy, uh, Tim Tim, who will go around and mow people's lawns. Yeah. And it's like an act of kindness, which is nice. He'll yeah. do it for them. Um, but it's so engaging. It's so satisfying to you watch know, a lawn game. They're also like lawnmower simulator games <laughs> where <laughs> you put yourself in the world of you're driving the lawnmower. Yeah. And I think it has to do with like 
this soothing experience yeah, it's that very maybe soothing. you could, I mean, you obviously could get that in real life, mm-hmm. yeah. but there's something soothing mm-hmm. about it's it. Adjacent to the power washing content, which is yeah. also yeah, kind of in fantastic. that same, that yeah. same sphere. Love I'm, I'm into washing. drain unclogging. I don't know if you've seen mm. post 10. I, I haven't matured into that yet. Yeah. It's, uh, he goes out around un- unclogs like stuck <gasps> drains on the street. Yes. I mean, that sounds really great. Yeah. so <laughs> fascinating about it. But I think um, 2022, if you look at it, was this incredible year of growth, I think, for creators and for the creator economy and for YouTube. I look at 2023 as one that's being defined by change. For creators, for audiences, it feels like there is so much change, so much of it also being wrapped up by AI, Mm -hmm. specifically generative AI and the tools that we have as creators. Obviously, this is a part of the Culture and Trends Report. Can you give us some insight into what you found when it comes to generative AI on YouTube. I wanted to start with what, what is interesting here? Like what's, what's happening? What do we know is happening right now that we should be excited about maybe? You know, mm-hmm. what, like, what could this be from, a, from that perspective? Because I think we all have a, a healthy skepticism about what it could be that we're not excited about. Sure. And um, I think there are new things constantly. We're like, oh, I didn't realize I needed to be worried about that, but I I do today. (laughs) You know, and that's going to keep happening with this stuff. But it's, it's, there's people doing interesting stuff with it. I want to find out what is that and what's going on here. And so there's some end of this that we don't even think about as AI. And I think this is interesting how I think most average viewers wouldn't even consider the stuff that they're seeing as AI content because it's it's not directly, in, and I don't mean that in that it's deceptive. I mean that in simply it's just a part of the workflow. It's a part of the enhancement of, of the content. Um, and so you started to see a lot of people just saying like, how can I play with this as part of my workflow? And that's, I think we're still in, in that phase a little bit of, people using it to create prompts for their bodybuilding videos sure. or, you know, mm-hmm. like giving them, you know, little challenges for their beauty videos, you know, and, and that, that's like step one. I mean, the title of this video and this episode will have been enhanced in some way by AI. Right. Yeah. And the audience won't and, know that or this, it won't matter. Until now. You know, and the angles, <laughs> the angles for this, if you're watching, we can probably show, but like this will be cut by AI. Yeah. You know, like there is an AI tool that will, know when you're talking and when I'm talking and it will cut it accordingly. Yeah. That's an advancement that we've seen as YouTube creators that I did not anticipate this year at all, but that has changed the dynamics of how YouTube video is made. Yeah. Um, That's behind the scenes. At least what I've noticed is, you know, what we're seeing as consumers is AI for the first six months of the year has been what I would call like the collaborator of the year. Yeah. Like every YouTube, big YouTube creator is collaborating with AI. Yeah. And I think that the thread between a lot of this stuff is that it is enhancing how people can express themselves at a higher speed and audiovisual fidelity. You know, you can mm-hmm. you can have you can create more complex content faster and sort of higher resolution essentially, you mm-hmm. know. And that is something that I think people invite and are interested in and stuff and there's there's certainly all different types of applications to it. But what we're seeing now and has has been the case with a lot of new technologies is that as creators adopt them, they sort of become normalized. They they you see them, mm. you see people do things with them, you you get inspired by that and you're like, oh mm. I, I can do something with that. And and you build on it. And so the next phase of where that starts to take us is into this world where you are 
things are much more iterative. Like we already live in a, one of the things that defines internet video is that it is a, it sort of exists in a conversation in a way, right? Like content exists in reaction to other content. Like that doesn't happen with movies and TV and other types of media. Mm. Uh, it's a lot more interactive in that way. But when you can make things so quickly, like you can edit the video so much faster, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. take that to its conclusion and all the things that you can do faster than you can imagine this world in which conversation, content exists as conversation, right? And you have every possible remix of the thing or whatever can be done in a very quick amount of time and everything is building on itself in a way. And it just changes the shape of culture in a way. It really just lowers the barrier to create, Mm -hmm. right? I feel like short form content, we would always say, okay, it lowers the barrier to entry. The videos are shorter. They're easier to produce. You can make them on your phone. But now we have things that are being made, you know, just with mid journey, right? Or 11 laps, which is like a voice generation tool. And you can create without even a camera. Yeah. And to take it a step further, if you look at what, Corridor crew did by using video to then create animation to create anime. They're now competing with Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Like it closes the gap between what's possible to be made. Yeah. We right? should take a look at this, the corridor crew video. Wouldn't it be cool if you could film yourself and easily turn into anything you want, like a cartoon character? Th- this video, particularly for me, felt like the moment that when Colin and I talked about this and we saw this in the trends report, we said, does this potentially suggest a rise of scripted content on YouTube? Um, you know, what we've seen is YouTube being the home for unscripted content. Vlogs, you know, conversations, just unscripted content. Sure, there's some scripted content on YouTube, but largely it's unscripted. The, the potential to turn yourself into a, you know, anime character or just be able to create animation this fast, does it suggest like a potential rise in scripted content on YouTube? Well, as you know, I hate making predictions. Yes, I know. Okay. I'm gonna. Uh, I'm gonna. Because it's so hard. It's so hard to like. I will make the yeah, prediction. Yeah, weird. I want to hear what you think. You, you can say your reaction, yeah. and I'll make the prediction. Yeah. So i I think it's a reasonable a reasonable point of view because um, fiction content is is very labor intensive and and things. But I, the, the the core question I have with it is. There's still the quarter guys are actually great storytellers. It's not like they're just a bunch of random people who like typed a thing in and got a thing. Like they they know how to tell stories. They're great at what they do. And that is hard to re- that you can't replicate very easily. And so there are many great storytellers in the world and so the ability for them to tell those stories is enhanced. It, it should be unlocked, but you know, the will the alchemy come together to have a compelling you know, narrative experience. Will people want that? It's hard to say. I feel like they will. Yeah. I think especially with watch time going up on TVs, on connected TVs for YouTube. Now, what Corridor Crew did by essentially using video to then create animation, it was not easy. If you watch their video, like they had to troubleshoot a lot and they're uniquely qualified to make what they made. But I think it shows us what's coming. Like there is, whether a tweet or I don't know what it was, but someone said like, whatever you're looking at right now with AI is the worst version of it you will ever see. Mm-hmm. And when I see things like what happened with Corridor Crew, I think, okay, that will be the reality. Shooting video on a green screen to then turn it into any style of content that you want, like that is the reality. I also think about the concept that as YouTube creators, that's the most, that's the biggest video library of yourself, right? If you want to build a model of yourself, 
you, like you as a YouTube creator, if you do talking head videos or for us doing a long form podcast, like there's a lot of input that potentially you have access to that you can animate or bring to life in different ways uh, yeah. with AI, right? The, the, the question you start to ask is what differentiates, right? If everybody yeah. can do everything, yes. what mm -hmm. breaks through? Like, you know, and it's funny because some people ask, have asked me um, what we're going to be flooded with all this content. What, what are we yeah. going to do? We're just going to be, so, we're going to be, there's going to be so many, so many, so much stuff. Like, is it just going to be a low quality dump of mm -hmm. stuff from all over the world? Uh, I would argue we already have a giant low quality dump of stuff from all over the world. <laughs> yeah. That's like yeah. the premise of the company I work for is actually <laughs> sifting through that to find the things that are going to be most interesting right. to you. So I have to believe, uh, you know, and perhaps my salary depends on it, but I have to believe <laughs> that we'll solve that problem. Right. And so then the question becomes, what so then what stands out and it becomes the thing that is the thing that you can't replicate which is unique perspectives you know creative ideas the the, the thing that's so interesting to me uh, uh, about this is its potential to make that the defining thing mm. between the pieces of content that we yeah. we can consume right now there are so many perspectives so many people's voices that we don't have access to because they, they don't have the funds or they don't, I mean, it's, it's gotten so much cheaper to distribute content, but it hasn't gotten that much cheaper to make, you know, to realize a science fiction adventure. Like that is still mm -hmm. a very expensive proposition, right. but maybe it won't be in the future. So does that mean that all of those incredible storytellers who write, you know, um, alt science fiction novellas that don't, aren't going to get their scripts produced, like now can actually bring that into the audiovisual realm? Maybe, yeah. you know, and so that's the thing that I think is, will, will become interesting through all of this is how does the individual perspective, the, the core creative idea, the thing that we actually care about get distilled uh, through yeah. the course of all of this work. I also think AI is unlocking fan communities and, and uh, in a, in a very unique way. Um, the Wes Anderson trend is probably one of the most interesting. I'm a huge yeah. fan of Wes Anderson. Yeah. And this trend has emerged of what if Wes Anderson made Star Wars? What if Wes Anderson made Lord of the Rings? You know, like that's such a fascinating trend to emerge that has reached millions and millions of people that we didn't even know we wanted or wanted to connect with. And to Colin's point, that stuff is made using Midjourney, 11 Labs, and maybe a little bit of editing. There's no cameras involved in making those viral yeah. YouTube videos. In the quaintest corner of Middle Earth, embark on an epic journey unlike any you've experienced before. And it's interesting that it coincides with this other Wes Anderson trend that uses a much more lightweight type of creative tools around sure. filters where it's yeah. like, I'm going to Wes Anderson in my life. These, yeah. Funny, yeah, yeah, these yeah. two things like happen at the same time and they're obviously interconnected and he's yeah. got a movie coming out and yeah. all this mm -hmm. together. And, and of course, of all people, it's the most handcrafted of directors that is getting like technologically <laughs> yeah. consumed in this, yeah. in this whole thing. But yes, there's a argument that fan fiction and, and, and um, fan conversation is going to be much more mainstream than it ever has been because of these, these tools. I, I was going to say, I do want to bring up though, that, you know, th this video particularly stuck out to me uh, in, in the conversation of the rise of AI on YouTube. This is called U S president's play. Minecraft 21. I'm going to play it right now. Hey guys, you know how Manchel doesn't play with us that much anymore? Bro, I can invite her back if you want me to. No, God, please no. Okay, so get to your point then. 
I found a way we can have Manchel play with us without having to actually play with us. How would that even work? So this is a video that was uploaded a few weeks ago. Can you describe this video? What, what is this? I didn't even know this was a, uh, a genre on YouTube. Yeah, so there's this President's Play thing. We've seen tons of views around them all, uh, you know, in the last couple of months where people are using this voice generated software to sort of basically imagine what it'd be like if the current mm -hmm. and former presidents played Roblox or Minecraft together at the same time. And it's interesting because we've had impersonations and presidential impersonations on YouTube for years, you know, Barack's dubs, you yeah. know, this mm -hmm. could be a, a Barack's dubs. When you see it the first time, you're like, it's not obvious that they've used any voice gen. It could just be someone doing an impression. It could mm. be, you know, that we've had that type of stuff on the platform for a while, but now anybody can, can do that in um, a sort of quick way. And, and together you have a phenomenon where everybody has the same like prompt essentially, which is what if the president's played video games? And then you have tons of people who have their own creative fun take on that, what that would look like. And then they just play it out for you. And the best ones, you know, are the ones that get the most views and that people share or are among them at least. Um, and again, it's part of a phenomenon where there's no singular, this is the president's play video. There's some that are better than others, but there's like, there's no singular video. It is just a, a phenomenon spread out across lots of pieces of content of which we may never see the same ones. Right. So obviously this video is a parody. Yeah. And I think this is where a lot of people get concerned. You always hear, what if someone puts out a video on behalf of a president or a head of state and people perceive it as real? And that's where Samir and I talk. And we, we believe that YouTube at some point will have to be kind of that arbiter of truth for if something has been altered by AI. And I'm sure every platform has to deal with this. I, I know other platforms are. Um, but I would think that's actually that side that is the concerning one. And the tough challenge will be for YouTube. How do you discern between what is AI, what's not? Yeah. When do you step in? And this is this is a YouTube problem, but it's also a societal problem. Like yeah. we, this is like, we're not the only content platform on the internet. Like there are, yeah. there are lots of platforms. I think there are a lot of concerns across public figures, across copyright. You know, there's, there's all of these things that... Um, are bigger than any one platform, one piece of uh, one trend that we're going to be grappling with over the next um, over the next few years. And I think there is our apprehension about this stuff, and it's justified. Yeah, one of the trends that stuck out to me the most, as it as it pertains to generative AI and like synthetic media and and technology, is the rise of VTubers and virtual humans on YouTube. So, you know. VTubers have been around for a long time. Colin mm -hmm. and I made a video about Lil Michaela a, mm -hmm. a, a long time ago, a couple years ago, just with this rise of, you know, essentially a virtual character that had human-like qualities and a human-like narrative that people were latching onto, but she wasn't a real person. Yeah. Um, this has, we've seen like a pretty dramatic increase in VTubers and virtual humans on YouTube. Yeah. I want to play one okay. um, that, Maybe you can help everyone understand yeah. <laughs> what is happening here. 안녕하세요. 안녕하세요. What are we watching right now? So you're watching a Korean creator, Kim Rui, who is, she sings, she does a lot of covers and stuff like that. But the thing that's interesting is that she is a real person, but her face is actually uh, AI generated. Okay. That, that like, why do you think people are so intrigued? Like, I, I understand the novelty of, hey, 
I'm going to show Colin, hey, look at this. This is, this is a virtual human. This is a VTuber. Right? Isn't that interesting? But then beyond that, like getting caught into the narrative of it or being like, that's a creator that I enjoy coming back to. Why do you think that is? I think it's the same reason you enjoy coming back to watch anything. Animated characters, fictional characters. Mm -hmm. I think back to just a couple of years ago, who's one of the biggest breakthrough creators on on YouTube the last couple of years, Dream. Mm -hmm. We didn't know what his face looked like for most of that mm -hmm. time. And did it matter? No, because he's just incredible at what he does and is a great entertainer and yeah. great at the game and everything. So like he just chose not to be present on screen. And, uh, you know, for me, I'm a little bit less, oh, what is this science fiction world we're going into? Because I, I think what I see from it is the potential for a lot of people who don't want to be on camera or who want to express them themselves in a way that is different than how they may appear physically or, you know, present physically that we would now, we're now going to get access to, mm -hmm. you know? I yeah. also think many years down the line, you may see the beginning of intergenerational creators, mm -hmm. right? Like if you go really far down the line, Mickey Mouse, right, has been around for generations because it's an animated character. You can just recreate it in many forms. And now there may be a scenario where a creator is a VTuber gets to a point in their career where they've built something really interesting, they have a business, they're excited about it, but they're done. They want to retire. Someone who maybe works for them steps in. Yeah. Right? And that transfer is relatively seamless. And the more, uh, the better AI and generative AI get, the voice can be, you know, Altered AI. as well. Yeah, the voice can be AI. So you, you then have a scalable human that can scale, like Colin said, hundreds of years. Um, as a brand. And I think that's an interesting like business case for it. Uh, that's fascinating that maybe we'll see more companies get involved with virtual humans and virtual creators. Yeah. Because they have the potential to write the scripts, have the voice generated and have this human host and connect. If people are willing to connect with virtual humans, then that feels like an obvious future. Yeah. And I think about this all the time because immediately my mind's like, what's this going to do for beauty standards? Mm. And like, you know, there's yeah. all mm. kinds of things that come up or you immediately go there. But I don't know, I do sometimes feel like I'm the old man in this conversation and that, you know, one of the defining, dividing lines between generations will be our comfort with AI generated anything content. You yeah. know, that will be, that will probably be a dividing line. I mean, who knows, you know? And even it may just enter so seamlessly and, and kind of slower than we expect. Like we said earlier, we're already using, a lot of creators are already using AI. And a lot of audiences don't really know. Yeah. Right? And I wonder if VTubers is a spectrum as well where little elements of it will be ushered in. Mm. And over time, people don't even really fully realize how much they're taking in. Yeah. And I think this is why like, the creators of today who are messing with this technology and exploring it, they are defining what will happen with it. Because that's how it gets normalized is people mm. do inventive things with it and then more people want to do that and see what happens. That's that's the nature of of and it of gets easier internet to do. content. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And so it, it is this what what's happening now is is step one. And you know, the the things that I'm seeing from creators on YouTube, like that's they're setting the tone for this. So one of the trends from the trends report that I really want to talk about, multi-language audio. What's really interesting there is that there are creators on the platform who are uploading videos that can be watched in multiple languages. And that is now connecting humans in a way that we've never been connected before. The fact that language is and was a barrier for humans, that we're the same species, but we actually can't communicate, may be over. 
And it can be something that can be done easily and quickly and perhaps cheaply mm-hmm. by creators is pretty wild. Let's watch an example so that the audience has a frame reference of, of what this looks like. It's, it's titled How Gas Bottles Are Made, and it's actually originally in Portuguese. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but I've always been very curious about the gas cylinder. There's an opportunity to just click the gear, switch the language between Portuguese and English. Guys, são fabricados. Bora ver. And the English here kind of sounds obviously dubbed, right? Mm-hmm. It sounds obviously, maybe it's AI generated. Is that right? It is. It is. Um, but there's other versions of this that are using actors, right? Mr. Beast uses yep. uh, actors in 13 different languages. Yeah. So you can click on one of his videos and... Um, click the gear and go into many, you know, from Japanese to um, Thai to Hindi, just um, incredible voice acting. And it's pretty similar experience, I would imagine, in every language. This to me is one of the biggest changes to YouTube and changes to media that that we've seen. Um, I guess like the question is like, how have you seen this already impact the platform? Well, it's early days right now on this because it's a pretty new, a pretty new feature. But we've we've already been seeing before this was even launched. We were starting to see Mr. Beast and other creators who were launching separate channels in other languages and seeing those channels become very popular. But you're seeing things like that creator from Brazil, who's a popular educational content creator who can now reach a much larger audience. He's using a, a platform called um, Allowed, which is an, a Google Area 120 project that they're trying to figure out how to create on the fly dubs um, across different videos and things. There's a whole tool that you can use. So it's a Google tool. Yes. Mm -hmm. You can imagine a future where, like similar to clicking captions on or captions not on, I can say, yeah, I want this in Japanese. Yes, and totally. And there are are lots of other third-party softwares that are doing, starting to do this stuff now, I think. Um, the, The YouTube tool itself just allows you to upload whatever Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, track and there's like some guardrails around that and, and everything. But um, feels to me like that's the future, though. That we upload a video and we check the box of which language we want it dubbed in. The, the thought of having our interviews available in many different languages is a very exciting thought. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for every creator, like I think the way you get to hundreds of millions of views really is by global accessibility. Yeah. Right. Exciting, but also could lead to more competition. The video we just watched, very similar to Tom Scott, right? And I wonder, like, is the competition on the platform now level? Is it global? Many years from now. Is it global? Yeah. And that's, that, that is good, and that is perhaps bad at times. The, the thing, I think one thing to know here, and again, I think we come at this from a sort of U.S. perspective, because dubbing and things are very popular in other countries as it is with movies and TV, and so it's a little bit less of a foreign concept. And, um, and I will say in the U S, um, 37% of people in the survey agree that they follow a creator who creates content in a language other than their own, which is a surprising. That's, surprising. that's way yeah. higher than that, it That's way higher than what it was. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, but it's you, so you see this happening now, right? Like we're starting to have this sort of more transference of things, but there are differences in culture. And I don't, I don't, I think I don't want to sort of diminish mm. the, the importance mm. of cultural differences. There are trends, the way that dance trends work in Africa is different than the way they mm-hmm. work here because of the culture of the place. And, you know, I, I think it's not like everything exists the same way everywhere. And so the things that will matter to people, the conversations that matter, 
and things will vary. And so the appeal of those perspectives will vary, mm. you know, as well. But you're no longer limited by the ability to speak a language, potentially. Um, and that is a huge, that has huge potential to change the, as a viewer, as a consumer, the perspectives that we have access to, right? Mm -hmm. The creativity yeah. we have access to. My hope to. is that it promotes empathy, that there are videos that eventually come across my feed from countries that uh, I know little about and that I probably would not have learned about had I not learned about them through this creator. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there are, it's but, funny because early viral video YouTube, the when you if you actually just went and looked at the most popular things, it was a lot of cats and a lot of babies and the pets and babies. And the reason for that was those things were language agnostic. You could watch like the most one of the most popular cat videos all time was this like cat hugging video. It was it was in Russian, but it doesn't. You know, it was no language in the video. So now we're all of a sudden in this place where that we've removed the language barrier. Mm. And so now like everything can have that potential to resonate with people in the way that something that's so universal that was, you know, not language agnostic did in the past. You know, for me, I, I agree on that. Like, I think the importation of other cultures to the U.S. has already really started largely like Korean culture has mm -hmm. uh, really impacted U.S. entertainment, right? Like Parasite, Squid Game, um, there's a new Netflix show, I think Physical 100, it's a Korean show. Like the Korean style of entertainment clearly connects with the U.S. audience and that was not really a thing before. Totally. And you imagine that today, um, you know, could there be a Korean Casey Neistat that emerges that, you know, someone in, in uh, South Korea who is vlogging every day and we get access to what does life in Korea look like and get to watch it in English. Yeah. Uh, or someone in India can watch it in Hindi. And that to me is, is interesting. Like, is there a possibility for global creators? Um, and, and I assume a lot of the American creators are relatively global, you know? And I guess Mr. Beast is the obvious example here um, that when he launched his other language channels, he was reaching millions and millions of people. You put that all into one channel now and it's like, that's probably the first like really mega global creator. Yeah. That is understood in 13 languages. Yeah, no, yeah. it's true. There, there, I mean, captions are also big and so a lot of people do watch sure. stuff with captions. 50% of people in the US agree that they prefer to watch content with subtitles and closed captions on. So, which is a, kind of a crazy stat. And when you look at, if you look at the Gen Z slice, so 18 to um, to 24 slice of that in terms of how many of them do actually say they watch captions regularly, that's, there's a there's a big jump there. Um, so I do Gen think Z, like- what an interesting population. It's true, know? but I think like captions and things, like we are already primed, I think, yeah. for the, for expanding. And there's lots of reasons why people use captions. Some of them are situational because you, you know, there's background noise or whatever, but yeah. like- I do think we're already primed to have uh, an experience that is text-based or audio-based in these ways that unlocks a lot of that. I wonder if it ends up leading to the ability to have a monoculture again. Of course, there will always be individualized experiences. But when you think about Squid Game, that kind of was a monocultural moment. And I think that's because it was released in, you know, a lot of languages. I don't know what the exact number was. It was like 80 to 100 languages or something on the exact day that it was released. And because of that, everyone all over the world was able to experience it simultaneously. Sort of. You had to pay for the subscription, True. right? There's a barrier, like, of course, yeah. of these, like, these there's a barrier are of paying like, for a subscription, yeah, yeah. And like, obviously. But, the ring fencing of that stuff, like it's- But on you YouTube, know? in the future, there is, there's not as much barrier, especially with internet being available increasingly all over the world. Uh, that could be a reality that something gets uploaded it could be, but I think everything, 
else is also t- t- sending this opposite signal, which is that given the choice between this thing that everybody likes and this thing that I know you like, mm. you'll probably want the thing that we know you like, you yeah. know? And mm. so it, it'll be interesting to see the interplay between this more personalized, individualized pop culture and the ability for people to, you know, no longer be obstructed by language barriers. Maybe if anything, it just connects subcultures all over the world. I think that that to me is the more interesting application, right? Which is the elevator video channels can all communicate with (laughs) each other, you know? And what will that that be? Mm -hmm. It's like kind of a beautiful thing. (laughs) That is really interesting. Like the weird subcultures can now connect globally. The ASMR video from you know, Japan can connect with the ASMR video from Brazil. Yeah. Like that's- Even for us, like the creator economy, YouTube enthusiasts all over the world can connect. That's true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. One of the biggest themes of the report, and it was a line that that really hit me, was this concept of the loss of monoculture Mm -hmm. um, and the rise of personalization. And as I thought about everything that's happening, all the the big shifts that are happening in media with uh, generative AI um, technology, with- um, you know, multi-language audio with, with the amount that we can personalize our experience online, it's hard to have a singular stream of culture. Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned you were involved in Rewind. Yeah. And yeah. I thought about, you know, obviously Rewind famously kind of ended yeah, and yeah. was like, mm-hmm. you know, disliked. I think the most disliked video on YouTube. Um, but I thought about the concept of could Rewind happen today? Mm-hmm. And I don't think it could because I think everyone's YouTube experience is so vastly different now that I'm not positive there could be a single, here's the biggest things that happened. Yeah. Because the biggest thing in my opinion is different from the biggest things in your opinion. Yes. Right? And your experience. I'm so glad you finally invited me here to clear the air about, about. YouTube. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we should clear the air. You know? yeah, well, yeah. look, the, the thing about the thing, uh, uh, someone, someone, I'm going to go back. Yeah, and I, can't really really right right I can't believe the, this whole thing turned into a rewind. <laughs> it haunts me. It haunts me. But title I, changes to confronting YouTube yeah, employee about, rewind. about the yeah. fall of rewind. But the, you, rewind actually broke like four rewinds earlier than that. And I don't think anybody really noticed, but if you were, for us, I, we could kind of see it, but everybody loved it so much that we didn't want to give up on the dream of it. But like, the, I always had a dream of being in rewind and yeah, I can't I mean, believe it mm-hmm. ended I before know, we I know. could even be yeah. a part of it, uh, but whatever. This is know. our version of this being is our version. YouTube this rewind. Is, yeah, yeah. But those, those yeah. first, the first couple, it really is emblematic of where YouTube was at that time. It was a very US centric mm. um, platform at the time in terms of the top creators and everything. And you could get them all in a room. Like, I mean, VidCon was like that, right? Like you would just, all the top creators would be there because they all knew Hank, you know, like, mm-hmm. yeah. and John. Like that's like, that's how YouTube and internet culture was at that point. But it's interesting if you go back, and I'm not talking about the last one, which is its own thing. But if you look at some of the ones previous to that, you started to see- the dislikes kind of going up on those things. And part of it is that you had people being like, "Who? I don't know who any of these people are. Yeah. And mm-hmm. we got to the, I think the 2017 one, and there was no person who worked at YouTube who could tell you who everyone in the video was. Wow. Like I was, yeah. like my team helps figure out yeah. the video and no one could explain who all the people were. And it's because- you know, it's, and you see, who is this person? It's like, well, you don't watch Brazilian YouTube. So like, yeah. of course you don't know this or you don't, you don't watch creators in India. So like, yes, I like, I get why you don't know this and, and stuff, but it just became so impossible. It was already a bit of a far-fetched 
idea that you could create that mm-hmm. singular view of what was popular, but it just really broke down over time. It's true. I don't, it's not possible. It's not that it's, um, it's not that, is it, could it be possible? It's literally not possible because I feel like I've, I've thought about this mm-hmm. a, a bunch. And it is because we are in this time, this, this era of, um, of a more fragmented popular culture where, you know, we may be familiar with the same topic or the same conversation, um, but we, we may experience it in a completely different way. And when we, when we do have singular moments, um, but in many cases, the stuff that we watch, the things that we care about are, are unique. There's a staff from the trends report last year that I love. I cite it all the time, which is that more than half of Gen Z, uh, watch content that no one they know personally is interested in, right? And it's like, <laughs> I, I, you, I, I was yeah. a student of mass yeah. media. Like I, mm-hmm. I was fascinated by film. I'm, I'm sure you guys were too, like, you know, given what you do. But the idea that not only would are people watching content that no one they know is interested in, that 50% of an entire demographic <laughs> yeah. is watching yeah. content that no one they even know yeah. also likes mm-hmm. is emblematic of this change. And- um, it's really confounding for and confronting for a lot of people who make content and mm. who are make creative work and who are, whose job it is is to reach large audiences because um, it, it just flies in the face of how you think about distribution and you know and these things. But it, it's the reality of how things work today, and it's interesting how much personality drives that interest, right? And topics, and when you you know we we look at groups of channels that are all focused on a similar topic and how big some of those audiences can be. Um, we're not, you're not sacrificing size necessarily for, for this, but you are introducing this feeling that you're not in step with how everyone else is. It's mm. funny how often, and I'm curious how you guys feel about yeah. this. It's funny how often I will talk to creators and ask them if they have trouble feeling like they're keeping up with what everybody else is talking about. And to a man or woman, everyone says the same thing. Yes, that they, yeah. they they struggle with that, and mm-hmm. it's just the reality of of where we are now uh, with different platforms, different formats, different personalization algorithms, all this stuff together. Yeah, I think it's it's the beauty of the internet and of YouTube and what what drew us to it originally, right? Like we started by making videos about lacrosse mm-hmm. in 2012 <laughs> on YouTube. Everyone around me was like, "That is not a good idea." Um, but we were able to carve out a pocket of people who were interested in that as well. And that has been the theme of our entire career is, can we talk about something we're into? And it feels like none of our friends are into it, but can we find people on the internet who are into it? And that proved to be true. Yeah. And I think um, that that like incredible rise of personalization has only accelerated now with, um, with multi-format and with like everyone becoming a creator. Like for us, we we released an interview with Destroying a few weeks ago. Now that interview went live, a couple hundred thousand views, but then we saw a short that had 1.5 million views from the conversation that we didn't cut, that someone else cut. Mm-hmm. And then we saw other shorts from that conversation that had hundreds of thousands of views. And I recognized that more people had watched those shorts than had watched the original source material. Mm-hmm. So th- they were experiencing uh, that conversation or that moment completely differently than we had intended them to experience it. And also they experienced it in their own way through the shorts uh, feed, through a a small bite size, maybe through someone sending them that clip. And maybe they'll never watch the the long form Mm -hmm. piece, but the person who watched the long form piece and the short form piece actually consumed the same 
60 seconds, mm-hmm. but just completely differently and with yeah. different intents. And you, you zoom out and think about that as everyone is becoming creators, as people are clipping things and remixing things and saying, here's the source material, but I'm going to, it applies to my community like this, right? Because there's like financial YouTube channels that take some of our clips and take what we're talking about in the context of finances or business and curate our show for their community. And they might never come and watch our show, but they're experiencing our source material in a way that's relevant and personal to them. Yeah. And yeah, that I mean, feels there's like the a stat difference. in the report about how people would rather watch a creator talk about an event than watch the event itself. Yeah, 45% of people in the US <laughs> would, <laughs> would prefer to watch creators breaking down a major event than the event itself. That's pretty interesting. And yeah. I think when I think about that, I assume, oh, the event must be the Grammys or the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. But it's actually further down the chain, like it's a Colin and Samir episode with destroying. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. Like there are some people who may actually just rather watch a clip or someone mm-hmm. else's interpretation of it. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I, I fall into this category. If something big happens, I'm interested in hearing about it from Ludwig on Mogul Mail mm-hmm. or from Phil DeFranco. Like I want them to contextualize it for me because they're part of my community. So I'd rather watch it there than on the news or somewhere else. Yeah. Um, and there's people who, you know, would prefer moist critical or so, so everyone has mm. their own n- news anchor in some ways. Yeah, right? Any tech keynote, I'm just going to watch the Marquez video. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. I'd much rather. It, it, totally. I didn't watch the, the <laughs> Apple keynote. I yeah. watched Marquez's yeah. videos. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's so interesting that, and then that is completely different from how all of my friends uh, experienced that one event. Um, that, that feels like a very substantial difference in, in the direction of YouTube and the direction of media that I think all creators should be thinking about. Um, and sometimes it, it makes, we've thought about it after we read the report of like, how does this impact us? And sometimes what we think about is we're too late to talk about a subject matter. Sometimes we're like, so many people have already made the video. We, we don't need to talk about that. But then recognizing that actually there's a lot of people who would want to hear us talk about it, even if that event happened weeks ago, our community hasn't heard it in their personal way from us. Totally. Uh, And that's something that at least for us, when we read the report, we were like, that's a tangible thing that we can now take into our creative process to say, hey, you know what? We are building our own subculture, right? The Colin and Samir world is a subculture. It's a community in itself. Um, that's a part of a broader community. And then within our community, there's even more communities. There's a f- funny meme that someone made in our Discord that's an iceberg that mm-hmm. goes underwater and it shows the different layers of fandom really? of mm-hmm. our community. And it's it's fascinating to look at because I had never put vocabulary around it, but they did. Mm-hmm. And they showed like, okay, if you're at the, the tip of the iceberg, you you watch the main channel interviews, right? But then you go all the way to the bottom and it's like a very niche reference to something that we talk about. Yeah. And it shows the different layers. And I think what's added to this is the fact that our audience, like that fans are creators and creators are fans, right? Like we are fans of a bunch of creators that we watch. We're creators ourselves. So we can take inspiration from them and create something. And then our community who watches us can create not only for the broader YouTube community, but like people can emerge within our community as creators Yeah, for the community, which is a pretty wild just- Yeah, there's like an economy to fandom. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's also the element that a lot of the people who work for us or with us started out as fans 
mm-hmm. of ours early mm-hmm. on and now work here with us or work on the Discord. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was something I remember hearing about like K-pop fans who are like full-time fans covering yeah. mm-hmm. what's happening with like their favorite K-pop band. Totally. Can, can you describe the different levels of fandom and the hierarchies and just Yeah, I mean, I wish I, had a, I wish I had an iceberg uh, yeah. to <laughs> show you, but... Um, I think the way that I the way that I think about it and the way that my team thinks about it is you kind of have this surface level, you know, engaging with the content as a as a consumption, a, a light level of interest in something related to it. Then you you go, kind of go to this next level where you you become a more active participant in that whether that is um, you know, commenting or some sort of lighter weight thing or whether it's making short form clipping. We're seeing millions of clips now people using the clipping features on YouTube, you know, clipping and stuff happening. Um to another tier where you've got sort of, I don't know, these are the presidents of your fan club type of thing where you are, uh, you, you have some sense of influence within that fan community, right? And that's that's where a lot of the K-pop stuff come, comes in. The, the, the K-pop economy and groups have really mastered how to enable an entire entertainment exist, experience that exists within the fandom mm. of something. And this obviously we have this in other things, you look at you know big IPs like Star Wars and stuff. They've they've always done this, but like or like the Dream incidental. SMP. Yeah, the there Dream are SMP. so many levels of fandom within the Dream SMP where there are creators creating their own offshoots. Right. Totally, right. totally. So this this exists, but like then you get to the uh, and even another tier where you almost you're at a professional. You're you're actually earning your living as a fan uh, of stuff, and sometimes that's quite broad. You look at I, I like to joke, and I actually this is still this for my my wife, but like a lot of the biggest. YouTube creators you could describe as professional fans. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I I would say we are kind of professional fans, right? Fans of YouTube and of these creators and of the space. Marquez is a fan of technology, right? Anthony Fantano, Needle Drop, like, you know, there's like a long list. There's like so many of, of those, those folks. And some of them branch out and Mm -hmm. and do other things, but um, it, it, uh, often there is this commonality, I think, because Fan, what is what is being a fan? It's being passionate about something, and the the single most important thread between what makes stuff successful and that exists on YouTube is the number of people who are passionate about something. Mm-hmm. That's like it's yeah. it's a passion driven platform in a lot of ways. So it makes sense that these two things go together. I think fandom is what's driving the culture ultimately. Like, of course, you have to have creators put out source material, but it's the fans that then take it and iterate. I'll never forget when you talked to us about. Amelia de Moldenberg's chicken shop date with Louis Thoreau yeah. and how that one moment got turned into a viral I don't trend. think we can play the clip, so maybe we should sing it just so people oh, are I, familiar. I can't <laughs> sing it, but... Louis Thoreau says, he, uh, he re- re- remembers a rap that he is talking about. Yep. I like it when you jiggle, jiggle. Yes. My money don't. Jiggle, oh, my money don't. don't. Jiggle, jiggle. It, it folds. I like it when you wiggle, wiggle. wiggle Faux show. Sure. Yeah, there it okay. is. Okay, so if, if you're familiar with it, I hope. Yeah. <laughs> Not you, but them. Yeah. But everybody <laughs> told you about it. You're the one who told us about, about it. it. <laughs> um, but, you know, you explained how, like, that one moment uh, resulted in this whole stream of creation that eventually really drove culture, drove mm-hmm. a moment in time. Yeah, totally. And, and there's probably a f- only a few people who have watched the original interview from Amelia. Yeah. Right? Totally. And that, but, and Amelia, her whole thing is that she's a fan of the, I mean, usually it's rappers. Like yeah, she's usually yeah, got UK yeah. rappers yeah. on that show and she's just a fan of UK hip hop. Yeah. And that's how, that's what the whole premise of that show is. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. yeah. But I, I think that example is one that, you know, you were talking about the fragmentation. It's almost like a light that's going through a prism where it's like, here's the original source. It goes through a prism and just goes in all these mm -hmm. different directions, right? Yeah. It turns into a dance. Yeah. Like that song turned into a trending dance. It turned into a song. It turned into a Jason Derulo song. A Jason right? like, Derulo song, yeah. It, it, it like, and Amelia was in the music video. Yeah, it went like <laughs> yeah. so many different directions and everyone experienced that moment differently. Yeah. And also, to me, it feels like everyone experienced that. But it's also possible that a ton of people did not experience it. Yeah. And that is like the thing that has been blowing my mind so much of this concept that everything that feels like the end all be all, the biggest moment of the week in the internet, the the amount of people who don't experience it and have a, their own version of the biggest moment. Yeah. You know, I've been giving talks for YouTube for a very long time. And there's there's always, it's always a three point talk. One of those talk points is always participation. And it's been mm -hmm. that way for years. But now you're really seeing what that looks like at scale because you've got a whole generation of people who grew up using these technologies, right? Who yeah. are very fluent in using video to express themselves and in engaging around video content. And so it's all just accelerating. Um, but because of the way that the personalization works, the the media that is created is becomes part of the phenomena, you know? And mm. that may be the that may be the lens or the path in that you experience, which yeah. wasn't always the case in the past. There was something that was referenced in the report of a, a Brazilian creator who got the rights to stream mm -hmm. the World Cup and was able to actually have people watch the World Cup with him. I yeah. think that's a, that's emblematic of this concept that people want to watch these events with creators. Yeah. You know, Dude Perfect is doing Thursday Night Football, right? Where you can watch a stream with them. You talk about um, the Mannings, right? Mm -hmm. Watching football with the Mannings. Like you now have this one source and it's how do I want to consume it? Yeah. Do I want to consume it, you know, with this creator, that creator, in that style, with this community? Um, you have your own personalized version of it. Yeah. So what is this um what does this all mean? You know, we have all these trends. We we kind of have our own takeaways. Like this has really informed a lot of how we think about the future. Um the, the probably the burning question for everyone listening is like, so are we gonna get replaced by robots? Is AI going to kill us all? What What is happening here? What What can we take from this <laughs> report? Um, the AI killing us all part <laughs> is, I think, I'm not in my lifetime, so I'm not sure. worried about yeah, it yeah, presently, I think we're but yeah. future generations. Possible. Um, no, the, 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 I am actually, as, as much as I feel a sense of um, anxiety about some of the things that we're, we're seeing, I find myself a bit optimistic about this from a, a creative perspective because- what I think it enables is it it unlocks the the, the you guys talked about you were you had um, uh, Miles Fisher. Uh, Miles yeah. Fisher on and yeah. one of the things that you talked about early in the interview was how talent and the mm. actual skill of being a performer was still so central to the work that he does. Right, he, he he does this deep fake Tom Cruise, and if for me, if he wasn't such a good performer, it's not convincing. Yeah. Yeah. And so I believe that, that you can extrapolate that across a lot of the things that we're seeing, which is the the human creativity, the human insight is the differentiator, right? If everybody can make everything and make it, you know, then it becomes mm -hmm. the, the insight, the perspective, the unique point of view that matters. Mm -hmm. So the thing that makes me optimistic about this is that I do think we are in this sort of, transitional moment perhaps or or not who knows <laughs> in this moment that seems to bring with it a lot of change in the tools that we use the technology that we have available to us as 
consumers and as creators. Um, but it should, theoretically, as one output, create a world in which we have access to more perspectives. We have access to more unique points of view and new types of creativity than we have today. VTubers, do I think, and, and virtual humans. Like, I don't think that that replaces the creators that we love today. I think that opens up a whole new set of creators that would maybe have not made content in the past that I might now be able to hear from. So that's my optimist's view on this whole thing. And I think there's a lot of opportunity right now to figure out what this means for you and the unique perspective that you have on the you know, creative process and, and, and the, the things you're passionate about in your business and, and whatnot. But uh, I am optimistic. I also am optimistic. And for me, I think the biggest takeaway is the availability of tools and the new tools that have emerged, whether it's multi-language audio, generative AI, that are lowering the barrier to entry for some people, but also enhancing creativity for others, right? You look at Corridor Crew, again, the input, the amount of time they put towards making that animation, uh, it was not easy. It still took time and intelligence that no one else really had, right, for them to create that, but they were able to make something totally new and novel and interesting with these new tools that we have. I would say for me, the the biggest takeaway I have is like in this concept of the rise of, of personalization. I, I I think a lot of creators feel a level of anxiety around needing to achieve extremely high viewership levels to make a career. Um, millions of views, and that's how you make a career on YouTube. I actually think because we're moving in this direction of, of more and more personalization, we're moving to a place where you can build a very tight-knit core community, and that carries a lot of value. And I think a, a huge part of how you do that is opening up participation and allowing people to participate in the conversation that you're starting. And that creates a very sticky audience that is, that is their world, just like we talked about. Like, that's their culture. And if you can create culture for a group of people, then you have the opportunity to have a career. And you're mm -hmm. only competing with yourself. Yeah. You're not competing with everyone else exactly. making similar types of content because you have your own world, your own community, and your own subculture. Yeah. The thing that... <laughs> It's, it goes back to your point earlier of could I, are we too late to get into this conversation? Right. If you, if the most important thing in that conversation is your perspective <laughs> on that topic, then you can never be too late. Right, you know? mm -hmm. right. Where can people find this report? And if That's they, if, question, if people are as big of uh, YouTube nerds as all of us, how do they <laughs> learn more about all of this? Because I, I spend time with your resources. So I'd love to give them. Yeah, YouTube.com slash trends has a lot of the big reports that we put out. Um, we have a YouTube channel. We sometimes, we sometimes yeah. put things on, but YouTube.com slash trends is the best place to sort of see the more report type stuff that we put out like this. We can also put the link in the description. Yeah, 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 yeah we'll do that. Yeah, thanks. That's so nice. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Listen, we'll put the link in the description. Yeah, we'll put that in there. Um, Kevin, thanks so much for joining. This yeah, was awesome. Yeah, this has been so fun. Thank you yeah, for having me. This was by. really fun. Thanks again to YouTube for sponsoring this episode. If you want to check out the trends report for yourself, just click the link in our description.